Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. All right, let's do this. How are you? What the fuckers? What the fuck buddies? What the fucksters? What the fuck nicks? What is happening? I am Mark Marin. This is my podcast, WTF. Welcome to it. Got a couple of people on the show today. We got a, a nice talk with Paul Beatty, the author of The Sellout, a novel that kind of blew my mind. He's also written some other stuff that I haven't gotten to yet. But the sellout, I got to, and it's one of the funniest fucking books I've ever read. Really just layers upon layers of funny and deep and cutting and smart, and I needed to talk to that guy, so he's here today. Also, my friend Jackie Cation will be here today. She's got a new record out. I am not the hero of this story. It's out now. Uh, She dropped by for a little bit. I always like seeing Jackie. Makes me laugh. She's one of the people that makes me laugh. How's it going out there for you people? Are you all right? Friday night, this Friday, I'll be in Austin, Texas. Next week, am I going to go to Opie's Barbecue out in Spicewood? Is that going to happen? Do do my pills erase that? See, I haven't gotten into that mindset. I haven't gotten into the mindset where, all right, these statins mean I can eat whatever the fuck I want, right? I haven't gotten to that mindset yet because I haven't gotten to blood tests to see how they're doing. Next weekend, Boulder, Colorado at the Boulder Theater, April 7th, at the Paramount Theater, April 8th. And uh, those are the the nearest to us as far as dates go. Like I said, the shows have been good. I've been having a good time stretching it out, doing an hour and a half, two-hour shows, trying to find that hour 10 for the special that I'll be taping in Minneapolis. If uh, if you're, hey, you know, that's another thing. Why don't I tell you about that? If you're in Minneapolis, I'm going to be doing two shows at uh, the Pantages Theater on April 29th for a Netflix special. Let's assume everything will be in place in, ter- in terms of the world and most of the federal government. Um, I'll be there. I'll be doing that. So come out to that. You can go to WTFpod.com slash tour to uh, get linked up to the tickets there and see the rest of the dates coming up in Portland and Philly and D.C. and Madison and and, uh, Milwaukee. Um, But yeah, we did Oakland last week with Dino, Dean Del Rey. We did the Fox Theater in Oakland. What what a stunning venue. What an amazing uh, theater that was. It was a pretty good time. 
we had a good show. Dino did good. I did good. But I've been dealing with some odd uh, vocalizing in the room lately. For some reason, uh, I'm in the middle of my set in Oakland. And then some guy just starts screaming, uh, "Save! you can save John Frusciante. You're the only guy that can save John Frusciante. Have John Frusciante on the show. You can save him. And I'm like, okay, you know, I, I don't mind engaging with the audience a tad. And, uh, you know, and I, I said, yeah, I, I hear you. I mean, it might be a, a tall order to save uh, John Frusciante, from what I understand. But um, but maybe, you know, I, I maybe. And he just, uh, and I thought I settled him down. But he just kept screaming. He kept screaming it. And I guess they removed him. Very odd heckle. I, I don't know if I would call it a heckle as much as a disruption or a, a desperate plea to uh, to help somebody out. But uh, it was odd and it was jarring. And I re I had to rejigger and reconnect and move on. But I don't mind, you know, I don't mind pleasant crowd interaction. But then we I go up to Seattle the following night. And uh, it was good. It was a good show. I love Seattle. Saw some nice people. I had dinner with Lynn Shelton. She's going to be directing my uh, Netflix special. She lives up there. And that was cool. And then we go do the show. A guy from there uh, opened for me, Yogi Polywal. He did a good job. Had to deal with a little weirdness uh, from the crowd. There's a lot of, a lot of wooing, which is okay. Uh, you know, in context, maybe at the beginning, but I, you know, you guys know how I feel about that. But then there's a woman up front who was drunky and just kept talking, just kept on talking to me, kept talking at me. Uh, you know, most of the rest of the room uh, couldn't hear it, but it became disturbing and disrupting. She kept interrupting, and I would, uh, I would tell her to shut up in a nice way, and then I'd apologize for being abrasive. But by the third time, I was like, you know, shut the fuck up, enough already. Then she got upset, and the man she was with her got upset. It's like. It was, you know, well-intentioned, but unnerving and, and disruptive. And then, you know, I felt myself being kind of guarded and a little defensive. And I felt myself drifting into old habits and wanting to, you know, burn the set down. And But uh, but I did not. I did not do that. And all in all, it was nice to be in Seattle. And I was very excited on Sunday to be going to Vancouver, to be flying to Vancouver, because I love Vancouver. I fucking love that city. I've always loved that city. And uh, now even more on some level, just to, and I've talked about this before recently, just to fly in or to get off a plane in Canada to feel the cultural shift, the weight of the malignant kind of cultural darkness that is upon us here. Even if it's, even if you're not looking at your phone, even if you're not looking at TV, you just feel the weight of the shift into this, um, this tense and uh, uncomfortable and frightening environment down here. And then to sort of step into the world of Vancouver, which is, you know, beautifully integrated, uh, nice and calm. People are pleasant. They're uh, not just polite, but they're warm. And maybe I'm romanticizing, maybe I'm generalizing, but I felt relaxed. And uh, my opener, Charlie uh, Demers, very bright, funny guy. And I, I just relaxed and opened up and then the following day i stayed an extra day because i like vancouver so much and i went to um i went to this place that makes shoes and i don't always go out into the world and you know uh, engage or what but you know i like boots but these people were very nice they're very you know earnest 
and it's called Love Jewels Leather Shoe Company. They started small, and they are still really small, but they it's almost like a shoe-made-to-order place because they're in such demand. So I went over there to this weird part of Vancouver that seemed a little industrial. I didn't know what I was getting into or where I was or what the lowdown was. And I go to this address. It's an unmarked building. I go upstairs. It's like a, an artist uh, building where there's spaces for creative people. Art, well, mostly artists, functioning, working artists. I don't know if they're functioning, but they're working. But uh, this Love Jewels Weather Company, the shoe company, they've got this big corner space up top where they're making boots and shoes. Just a bunch of nice young folks, you know, artisans, shoe art, leather shoe artisans making the stuff. And uh, I got to talking to everybody and they measured my feet. They're going to make me some, some shoes. And it was one of those moments where I'm in Vancouver. I like the food. I like the people. The scenery's great. What, could I just come up here and, and intern at a shoemaking place, could I become a cobbler? I think that might be the next. I, I, that's part of my fantasies, is disappearing to some other part of the world where I just cobble, where I just, uh, you know, work quietly and bend leather over soles. I can do it, man. If I focus, I can do it. Jackie Cation is a uh, a great friend of mine, and I think she's very funny. She's got a new record out. I'm not the hero of this story. You can get it now. She also hosts the podcast The Dork Forest and The Jackie and Lori Show, which she does with Lori Kilmartin, uh, who I also love. So uh, she stopped by. So this is me and Jackie hanging out for a few minutes. Sometimes I wish I paid more attention in school or in some cases, any attention at all. There are probably a lot of things I could have gotten more out of, like literature. And now it's probably not in the cards to go back to school and study the classics. But luckily for us, there's a new podcast called The Foxed Page that dives deep into the best books of all time. This is basically like the best possible college English class, but more relaxed and fun. No pressure of grades or needing to prepare something to say in class. It's only the books you want to read and know about presented by best-selling author Kimberly Ford. Everything from Cormac McCarthy to Madame Bovary, from classics like Frankenstein to modern hits like Lessons in Chemistry. I love Ireland, but I missed the boat on James Joyce. The Foxed Page has a three-part series on Dubliners, and that's a pretty great starting point. Want to get the most out of what you read? The Foxed Page is for you. Get it now wherever you get your podcasts. How many possums do There's you see There's a whole at family. Once? Whole family of possums saw him one night creep me the fuck out. Yeah, they're like gargoyles. Right. It was two possums and three baby possums. It was kind of cute, but, yeah. but I stayed in my car. That's my, my feeling on it is that, you know, baby possums are cute and then something bad happens. <laughs> <laughs> they don't stay cute. They just... Uh, yeah. There's nothing there's nothing appealing about a possum the way it moves. <laughs> it was yeah, the waddle. Ugh. I'll tell you, it was um you know, I appreciate seeing a, a, a complete family as much as anyone. Sure. And so it was lovely to watch them, but I was not getting out of my car. Yeah. It wasn't that sweet that they're all together. <laughs> those ugly, horrible things that are, I think, relatively harmless, but they're just But tr- super intimidating looking. Disturbing looking. Yes. So 
Wait, now, you have the iguanas old now? Yeah, the iguanas old. Andy got them, right? Back in the day. Back and in what day? Like, what day do you buy an iguana? He didn't. He was working at PlayStation, uh, Sony PlayStation. He's your a husband. designer. My husband. And so you should know, uh, before you ask and email me at jackieatjackiecation.com, <laughs> what games did he work on? Here's the famous game he worked on. God of War 2, God of War 3. Oh, those? Those, yeah. I those know are, about Exactly. It, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and, and he was part of a large, large team. So take, yeah. calm down. Yeah. It's a great, it's a great job. You were correct. But he's still anyway, a genius. He's a genius. Okay. And uh, it's Good. lovely. Yeah. Uh, so his, his, one of his uh, level designer buddies shows up at the, at work with three iguanas that the guy Impulse bought. Oh, really? Yeah. That's not my first, I don't buy much, but right. I don't think that would be it. I wouldn't impulse buy an animal yeah. on a, on a dare. Right. And don't, don't impulse buy anything that eats. <laughs> three of them. Iguanas grow to be three and a half feet long. So yeah. you've kept this thing and you, right. and so, you can't really go like, I'm just going to let it go. Right. Oh yeah, yeah. No, no. Then it'll be in the sewers of that Los Angeles doesn't have. But the um, the crazy thing is, is so he was like, "Who wants an iguana?" After he's alerted to this fact, so Andy took one. Another guy at work took one. Those two guys, the guy who bought them and the other guy, they killed their iguanas in the first year. They killed them on purpose. No, no. They accidentally iguanas are actually quite difficult to get to maturity. Yeah. Because they're tiny. They're like the size of my hand. Right? Yeah. When they're little. Right. And you have to kind of make sure that they get enough light and the right kind of light and all these things. Oh, you guys and, really cared for the reptile andy is the one i am not uh i am so now you have this sort of old galapagos looking very much regal so. iguana he is regal he is a <laughs> he is regal tiberius dracus is of, his name of course it is yes it's yeah. named after the roman general tiberius gracchus <laughs> because andy is overeducated yeah and nothing wrong with that i guess mm-hmm. always never uh, never a shortage of conversation <laughs> right never yeah yeah never a dull moment so what? What I haven't seen you in years. I feel like is it's that possible? Been, it's been a year and a half, easily. I think. Really? I think I saw you at the. My favorite times of seeing you in the last couple of years was I pulled into the impro, uh, the comedy store, right? And you yelled at me, "What are you doing here, Cation?" <laughs> and I said, "What are you doing here?" And I'm like, "I'm on the wall. What are you doing here?" And I was like, "I'm just looking for free parking." <laughs> I'm on the wall. <laughs> I have to be here. <laughs> Exactly. You're on the wall. It's, for, it's, it's been it's prophesized. <laughs> the prophecy has come true. <laughs> That's fucking hilarious. Mm-hmm. When people tell me I say things, I'm like, what an asshole. <laughs> well, it actually made me laugh so okay. hard. Whenever whenever anybody asks me to do that, I'm always like, What's the parking situation? Yeah, because that's all I, I want. That's all you care about. It. So after a certain age, I'm done. I'm like, even if I'm like, if yeah. you booked me, I never worked the laugh factory either. But I'm like, how's the the valet still there? Because yeah. I'll do it. I'm willing to pay ten bucks to, to. I never worked there because I don't know really where to park. You know, they send you mm-hmm. behind this building, and you're not sure if it's okay. <laughs> right. I don't work there because I don't know where to park either. Hilarious that we don't work there because we're like, well, I don't know. It's just how not I clear to me. Like, because yeah. like you drive up, and then they, you know, someone told me once you pull into that. There's a building across the street on the same side of the street. Okay. You go through an archway, and then you go into the back of this apartment building. La 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 la. Right. You've already lost me. Well, but yeah. it never felt right yeah I'm like, it was one of those situations where you lock the car and you're like you sure this is all right here because i'm gonna get to yeah because yeah, i yeah. yeah it's why the improv has always been my regular club of choice because they have the fred siegel lot i'm like oh i know where oh, i'm behind the, the improv yeah. yeah i haven't been there in a long time i don't know why because like i feel like 
if I it, if like, you're getting if up I, enough at the store, if I'm in town and I can knock out three sets a week, four sets, I'm good. Yeah, you know, yeah. I just to stay in shape. So I go to the gym. How much do I have to exercise yeah. weekly mm-hmm. to get my my comedy heart rate up? Right. What about yeah? <laughs> and, uh, you know, I do that podcast now with Kill Martin. I love her. Uh, I love you both. How is that thing? Uh, it's uh, hilarious, but it's what's su- it called? It's called the Jackie and Laurie Show on Nerdist. Okay, and it is hilarious only because she wants to do three sets a night. Yeah, and so she's got oh, me cool. in this mode. Of competitive, well, how many sets am I getting this week? And what do you cares? guys? What do you guys? New comics? Yeah. Are, what, you, what, are you are you just starting out? I just okay. So you just pass. The album just dropped, right? So what's I it have, called? Uh, I am not the hero of the story. I am not the hero of the story. Jackie Cation's new album. That's right. For the first time ever, I made all those lists. You I've did. I've never even been close to making any of those, like iTunes, Amazon, Billboard, nothing. Congratulations! Thank you very How much. How is that translating to sales, Jackie? I have no idea. My father uh, also lives and would like to know. Oh yeah. And uh, so <laughs> I assume I'll find out from Sound Exchange two months from now. Well, wait. You should. So, send, but you're making it. People are buying it. Is it on a label. Yeah, it's on stand-up out of... Uh, Schlissel? Yeah, Schlissel out of uh, How long did it take him to put that thing together? Oh, I ride him. I oh, ride him. All right. I'm just like, uh, I recorded it uh, de- the w- December 26th or 28th. Schlissel is a, a great champion of stand-up and, really and a, a very uh, sort of uh, uh, meticulous uh, craftsman of the stand-up record. Right, uh, and sometimes bites off more than he can chew. Like, he'll take too many sure. projects on... No, I've, I've I've done. I think I've he re-released one of my albums and he did two. So right. I, I I know the Dan system. Yeah, I get those weird checks. You get the weird checks every three every three yeah, or four yeah. months. Well, and I always um my whole thing with Dan is is I said I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be kind of a jackass about this and because ro- I want this to come out. Like as far as I'm this concerned, year. it's record. Yes, it, as far as I'm concerned, it's within recorded. a year of recording, I'm done. Yeah. As far as I'm concerned, just slap it together. Yeah. Let's cut it into tracks. Yeah. I've given you the art. We'll call it. Well, a how day. many shows did you record? Four. He recorded all seven. Oh my god! So he did seven shows. So that's what he see. That's biting off more than you can shoot. No, I listened to my own set five times. Yeah. And uh, and I really I knew that it was probably going to be Thursday night set, and that's what it was. And then I pulled a couple of jokes that I did better on Friday first show. Oh, you made and, these decisions and, and told him entirely. Oh, good. I am a I am a little OCD about my comedy, so uh-huh. it's my album. I'm gonna I'm gonna listen to my own. It's gonna drive me nuts to listen to my own jokes five hours of which, and then I'm gonna cut them in to try. You know, essentially. I picked the tracks. I gave him time code. Yeah. I, and then uh, he put it together and mastered it. And then he gave it back to me. And then I cut him into tracks. And then I gave it back to him. And then I gave him the art. And then he... And then I named the tracks. Immediate regret about yeah. some of the naming of the tracks. <laughs> well, how'd know. the cover come out? That's always the tricky one to, that always ends up being regretful. Um, <laughs> right. Uh, so, you the, ever look the, at stand-up like, comedy records? You're like, oof. What yeah. Because <laughs> I've done it, too, where you just do that fucking cover, and you're like, this is great. And you're like, what the fuck was I thinking? Why am I wearing that hat? I've only regretted one cover, and yeah. it was the one that I didn't have anything to do with. Because the thing is, is I try not to regret anything that I that I sweated over, mm-hmm. and I just let it go. I'm like, this one is called I'm Not the Hero of This Story, and a woman who did a lot of fan art, but yeah. she's a great artist. That's what I had, ultimately. Yeah. yeah. She did... She did uh, I, I'm dressed like uh, Dan Frontier in front of like a, a Conestoga wagon. Uh-huh. <laughs> right. But, so you did go with the comedy element. I went 
I thought it was funny. That's well, that, that's that's <laughs> always the thing that bites you in the ass when you're looking back at your album covers. <laughs> well, you remember t- uh, Tim um, Cavanaugh? Tim Cavanaugh? Yeah. You remember his headshot was him tied down with a bunch of army guys on top of him, like the Lilliputians? I do kind of remember that. Yeah, it's hard not to see that that headshot when you're working the road. Look at that thing in the middle. Oh my God, that is hilarious. And me with the two pairs of glasses and then doing the ones on the top of my head like right. John Lennon. Yeah, yeah. That, was, that was my first headshot. That's uh, you should see my mine had a lot of cleavage and I used to sign it on the cleavage. Wish you were here. Oh, good wow. stuff. Good sassy, stuff. Sassy, uh, sassy, hilarious. Keep writing, Cation. Keep writing. <laughs> oh my God, so dumb. <laughs> so how, what is this? Your second or third record? Fourth. Fourth. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. We just keep churning them out, and you're sort of like, does anyone give a shit? And like when people go like, who? I've never heard of you. I've got five, six CDs. <laughs> right. I just did a nerd cruise uh, with with like minded individuals and so many. People's like, I've never heard you were really funny. I've never heard of you. And I'm like, I am a well kept secret. Well, they're like 12, those people. Yeah, they're very young. That's what we forget. It's like, how are they going to hear it? They don't even have enough space and they haven't filled their brain up enough yet. Right, right. right. They've only been uh, exposed to a very start new, a narrow swash of uh, swath of stuff. Yeah, I recommend you start with the bread album. Uh, no, listeners no, no, of Marin, no. and then you go to Horcrux, <laughs> and then you go to this fucking thing. Exactly. Skip circus people. Go back if you're Jonesing. Uh, that first album. Quite honestly, what the, what it's the, okay. Which nerd cruise? Uh, Joko, Jonathan Colton, nerd oh, yeah. cruise, and it How, was. Does that amazing. sell out? It was. There was seventeen hundred and eighty people. On a boat. On a ship. This is the first year that they, they rented the whole ship. Mm. Previously, they were just part of a ship, and then they'd huddle up, like, and it was cozy. I, I guess it was cozier for nerds. They were like, oh, there's people who just like Kurt Cruises. I'm going to go hang out with someone who just likes San Francisco. How long? Seven days. Oh, I can't. Like, I, I get Plenty nauseous. Plenty places to hide. And, wait a minute. I should show you this. All right. They, uh, they gave us these buttons, and the buttons said, uh-huh. uh, yes, I can do friendship right now, or no... I can't do friendship right now. Friendship. Friendship. Like, don't fucking talk to me, or you can talk to me. It's helpful for nerds, I guess. It's real helpful, I think, for all of all humanity. Oh, there you go. No, I do not want to do the friendship right now. Oh, what's the other one say? Yes, I do want to do <laughs> friendship right now. Is this code for... You for know, anything? For, you know... Uh, it's code for nothing. For bowl of keys? No, it's not code no, for anything. No, oh, it's not. It's a, yeah, no, it's a, it's not going to get any... It's just a any, cute thing. It's a cute thing, and it's also a, seriously, I'm on the spectrum. Leave me the fuck alone. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> That's a which, better button. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe next year. <laughs> seriously, I'm on the spectrum. Leave me the fuck alone. <laughs> where's, where's that t-shirt? That's a <laughs> That's the best one I've heard. <laughs> Who, so, so Jonathan's a musical actor. There's yeah, more. yeah. You know, he wrote the. He wrote. No, the, people love him. People love. Him. He wrote, he came to. The, I don't know enough. I well, liked the guy. I met him a few times. Right, nice guy. And yeah. uh, he's essentially like if Weird Al didn't uh, write parodies, mm-hmm. or if they might be giants, were silly. Because he wrote uh, the final song still alive in the video game Portal. Okay, those are all words That's that big, you know. That was his big break. That was his break. He wrote a song at the end of a video game. Yeah, but, well, he, but it was Portal, and yeah. Portal is huge. Okay, so. well, so that's well, you got to get it where you can. Well, that's it. And who are the other comics on that? It was Aparna, Aparna and Cherla. Yeah, Cameron and Rhea, mm-hmm. Cameron Esposito and Rhea Butcher, and then Janet Varney, and a bunch of improv people oh, like wow. Al Lublin. And, um, so a lot of entertainment options. A lot of entertainment options, and then the double clicks were music acts. They're uh, uh, they're sisters mm-hmm. out of Portland, essentially. Like if Garfunkel and Oates were nerdier. Oh wow! So, 
if you think of like Aisha Tyler, yeah, who looks like a supermodel but is constantly playing massive multiplayer. Uh, yeah, online yeah, games. I guess so. I, yeah, 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 I guess that's true. You know, that, that there can be a, a hidden nerd complex. Does she just look like a supermodel, or was she a supermodel? I don't know I what her like... whole story is. I've never done a long interview with her. We should probably. I should probably do that at some point. Yeah, she's awesome. I feel, you know, it's like it gets away from me. You know, we, you know, I, I yeah. reach out to a lot of people. It doesn't happen, and then some people. I'm like, oh shit! I should just, you know, why didn't, why haven't I talked to them yet? You know, yeah. your life just keeps going. Right. Well, on and on. It's, yeah. The Dork Forest is nothing like that, but it's like that. You yeah. Know? And uh, just because it's and that's uh, still weekly. Still weekly. Yeah. I, I recorded six on the Nerd Cruise, as you can well imagine. Why not? I could have recorded 1,780. Get some in the can. Get some in the can. That's yeah. It, that's it. And then I just have three months off. That's now, is there a lot of food on the boat? That's what I remember about the one cruise I was on. It's like a bell rings it's and you terrifying. eat. Terrifying. It's ter- that that I I that was my greatest fear. It the wasn't food. the booze, it wasn't um, it was like the ongoing the buffet. It was the ongoing buffet. Yeah. I I dealt with it okay, yeah. but not great. Not great. It's very hard every day with the ice cream cation. Yeah. No, 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 yeah. not cool. Well, that's the same being on set. You're <clears> like, what the what the fuck is that dessert? Exactly. Why what, is that what, here? That's not something you can eat every day. Why? That's why I'm going to eat it every day. I'm every- here. <laughs> Because it's finite. It's yeah. going to be over any minute. And also I have this weird thing where it's like, you just can't leave that food out. What? Someone's got to eat it. <laughs> I have that too. I got to help out. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we don't want it to go to waste. Yeah. Oh. Uh, so no. are you on Maria's show? Uh, I'm I, I'm doing a, a bit part, sort of like I did on yours. Yeah. Uh, I have a bit part next week I'm recording with. Really? Uh, yeah. Were you on the uh, first season? Yeah. They cut me though. It was, uh, I did the episode with How'd Andy that go Kindler. Over? Uh, Did they cut Andy? They cut Andy as well. Do you know why? Because I don't know if you've seen it. I've only seen the first three episodes myself. Really? Do you know why? Because I'm in the fourth episode. Right. And uh, I... And it's funny, because you know who it is. It's Lady Dynamite, right? Yeah. It's Maria's show. And it's uh, Arrested Development, South Park, and yeah. Maria Bamford's act all shoved into a blender. Right. So it's filthy, weird, and genius yeah. all in a glurg. And so there's so many layers to it that I was not surprised that they cut... Essentially, it was she and I discussing dick jokes, yeah. I think. It was like, there was... Well, I, you know, I love her, and I want to watch the show, and I had uh, Fred in here, Melmed. Okay. And... Um, he's he, great. He's great. He's, and and uh, you know, I, well, I talked to Andy a lot, but I... But, like, it's just, I don't know where people find the time. I don't know what I'm doing with my time. <laughs> right, what... what like, what, to, what you watch things. Yeah. You know, like, uh, you know, I've just got to sit down and lock in and it's got to catch me. It's got to grab me. I'm reading some bullshit. I'm rereading some bullshit. That's you what are? I'm doing. I'm stopping the voices in my head. That's what, what I'm re- doing. What are you reading? Right now I'm rereading uh, <laughs> Lois McMaster Bujold's space opera, The Vorkosigan Saga. Really? Yeah, all of those are I words. That was, I don't know yeah. what that you those just said. Those are all said. just words. It's science fiction and it's this woman out of Minneapolis who wrote these great uh, this great space opera and she's great it's one of my favorite lines is uh, lead character Cordelia whatever yeah. from Beta yeah. Beta Colony technological colony yeah. like super tech right uh, fella that uh, they end up getting together from a super patriarchal military mil- military colony colony called yeah. Barriar they get married that guy becomes the regent it be- it's becomes space opera and um, political drama sure because he becomes the regent to the to the young king right yeah and at one point, they're at a party, and she's from this uber-liberal tech com- colony, yeah. and one of his uh, political enemies comes yeah. up to her and says, well, you know, uh, Errol's uh, bisexual. And she goes, sure, but he's monogamous right now. This is her husband? Yeah. Uh-huh. And um, the guy's like, 
like he tried to blow up their marriage by by alerting her that right. he was bisexual, and she right. was like, she's like, "Yeah, yeah, I know. He was, used to be with a fella." Yeah, uh, in did other she news. know that? She had known it. Oh, um, but um, so that failed. It failed so much. I mean, I don't know if you were, if it were a surprise, mm-hmm. like if you were with somebody and you found out after you had married them or been with them for years that they had had a relationship yeah. with the same sex. Yeah, would it freak you out? No, it's happened. <laughs> Right. You just go, well, you're, I... You're sort of like, wait, what? Okay. Okay. <laughs> That's exactly how I responded. <laughs> I dated this one guy who told me that he used to date guys in Germany. Uh, That's very give specific. Because they him free... free uh, he was German. Oh. Uh, for sweaters. He for said, sweater. I'd, get a, I'd get a real nice jumper out of it. And I was like, is that prostitution? What were yeah. you doing? Well, that, that adds a, another element to it. It was a... Like guys blowing guys for sweaters. It really... <laughs> It felt like a whole other level. It's one thing to have a relationship, but if it's just about the sweaters, <laughs> yeah, that guy's it genuinely. <laughs> it did make it uncomfortable. I was like, "Well, we will not be dating more than this." Then, I mean, that was the only time. Is where that it really... one of the sweaters? <laughs> right. Yeah. How about that one? That seems a nice cashmere. So. Well, I like that the idea that uh, the one thing that's interesting. It seems to me about that science fiction story is that uh, the human thing hasn't shifted like that. You know, I like yeah. I like stories that honor that. Like you know, when you start to realize like humans in the form they're in now have been around for however long they've been around and haven't changed much. No, and inside, they might not. Right, right. The committee <laughs> meeting is still <laughs> yeah. the worst in everybody's head. <laughs> that seems like a, a nice grounded sci-fi story. It's pretty great. Well, good luck Thanks with the record. Me. Yeah. I am not the hero of this story. Jackie Cation's new uh, CD and download, and you've got the uh, the one you do with Kilmartin. Yeah, Jackie and Laurie show. And you've got the dork forest. forest yeah, which I, if you got time, go yeah. back on and, and in... talk about something that isn't blue jeans. Okay. Yeah. And uh, and then, um, okay, I'll come Maybe on. cats. I'll come back on. Yeah, yeah I'll I'd come love back. it. Sure. And then also uh, episode four of the first season of Lady Dynamite. Yeah, exactly. And an up where they cut all my lines, but I'm I'm pictured. And uh, <laughs> are you touring? Uh, like a crazy person. Really, yeah. just I'm, all around. What's the website? Uh, JackieCation.com. You can go to FamilyPetAncestry.com because it points to that because it made me laugh. <laughs> Don't you want to know if your cat came over on the Mayflower? Don't you want to know if your dog? I'd love eligible? to know where my new kitten comes <laughs> from because he's got Egyptian. <laughs> he's got an Egyptian head. See? Yeah. You're like oh. Abyssinian something like he's exotic. I like a genius cat. It's funny. I guess people do that with kids too like this one's special i mean look, right. at, look at its ears right yeah. uh, so i do that joke about uh dogs of the american revolution right uh-huh. having your dog join the dar some guy emailed me uh i did the joke on conan guy emails me he's like my cat is actually a direct descendant of truman's cat oh, that's funny and i was like are you kidding i hope there's half of me that hopes he's kidding and there's half of me that's like how did you do that how did you trace it well i mean depending where he lives and what you, you know i mean i yeah. think like because if you go down to key west there's all those hemingway cats those six-fingered hemingway cats oh right then you could actually get a hemingway cat if you wanted well one. yeah but there's they're just all over the place yeah and they're they are from the original six-fingered cat it's easy <laughs> to identify they got, right yeah. yeah that is a mutant cat so. well it's great seeing you i love talking right. to you thanks for having me Jackie Cation. I'm not the hero of this story. Is out now. Listen to her podcasts, Dork Forest or the Jackie and Lori Show. So, having your mind blown by a book is uh, one of the great experiences of being human. Um, so do that occasionally. It does, sometimes it's hard to find the books that are going to blow your fucking mind, but um, but they're out there, right? 
this Paul Beatty book, The Sellout, was was astounding, and I was excited to uh, to get an opportunity to talk to him. What I'm saying is, The Sellout by Paul Beatty is a hilarious book. Like, and you can't really put it down. And it's deep and layered and funny and dark and uh, light and just brilliant. It, it, it won the prestigious uh, Man Booker Prize for Fiction last year, and it's now available in paperback. And this is me talking to the author of that book, Paul Beatty. All right, so you were in Boston, and you went to BU. I did. But we were at BU at the same time. You would have been a year ahead of me. Absolutely. In the English department. No. Oh. Psych. You were in the psych department. Mm-hmm. Well, and you knew we had common friends, maybe? We knew Sue Silverman. Sarah's sister, Sue, yeah. dated a guy I knew briefly. Who was that? A guy named Steve Brill. He's a uh, film director. Uh. And I met. I remember meeting Laura Silverman yeah. with Sue yeah. in a ski jacket. <laughs> um, but I don't know. What was Sue studying? Sue was doing psych. She was? Yeah. Now, what compelled you to do psych? I don't know. My friends tell me I always said I was I wanted to be a psychologist. Yeah. So uh, what compelled me? I have no idea. But um, it was the right call at the right time. I think. Yeah. Do you yeah. find that the stuff that you learn there uh, is, is useful still? Oh yeah, absolutely, man. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Really, it really uh, helped shape how I see things, how I see people, you know, how I see myself, and uh, it just it really made me aware that there's so much going on at any given time. Uh huh. And part of it is, you know, what you're paying attention to and what right. you're listening to and how you're listening. You know how? Well, you know, it just it, there's just so much happening. How is your brain getting fucked, and how are you reacting to it? Yeah, you know, and, and what are you bringing to the table? <laughs> that's exactly it. You know, aware that everybody's putting their baggage on the table. Right. You know? Size of the luggage, and you know, there's, 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 there's just so much happening. I know, and and, and things happen in a moment that yeah. could have uh, implications that uh, that and repercussions that go on for a lifetime. You know, I teach. Yeah, you know, and uh, you know, when I was in school, I did something called small group processes. Yeah, you know, you just put in a room, and it was kind of very counterculture for BU, especially at that time. You yeah, we drink wine, and you yeah. know, just uh, anyways. But, you know, we had these phrases. I had a beautiful professor there, this guy, Bob Chin, who I've learned a ton from. What did he teach? Yeah, he taught psych and yeah. social psych. You know, he had these phrases, the here and now, listen yeah. to yourself, listen. Yeah. You know, all these things that just help you gauge where you are all the right, time. Right, right. You know, my friends would, yeah, anyways, it's just, and it's stuff that I try to instill in my students because it's helped me, yeah, you know, right. about seeing the layering, seeing the depth, seeing the complicated shit and the simple you know, uh, and, and, just, and you teach writing yeah we're at at columbia so when you're at bu you you graduate with a psychology degree i did and where'd you go to grad school at bu you but did i did for psychology i did I god did. You, can't, you went the full yeah run. man it was uh it was a mistake in some ways you know but uh you know i applied to go to these other places michigan and all these places i think i was going to end up at university of chicago what was the plan uh, I didn't really have a plan, you know, it was the one thing that, you know, kind of captivated me at some level, you know, I had some interest in, and the plan was, I guess at the time I would have done that, and you know, you get these 
organizational behavioral jobs at Kodak or something. I don't know what these companies were. You oh, did, really? You so run you had these a, workshops and oh, right. So it was sort of things. You were gonna. It, there was a career there of a uh, consultant career. Yeah, that's exactly that's the word. Not and, uh, not a uh, uh, have uh, do office hours career. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah. No, I, did, I wasn't thinking about teaching. Well, yeah, where'd um, you you grew up around here? Uh, not around here so much, but you know, West LA, I guess. Like like uh, how far west? Uh, you know, I, you know, I grew up in Santa Monica and Venice, and then uh, we moved to like right off Robertson Boulevard and Beverlywood. And what was uh, what was your the childhood? What was your old man in? Uh, I didn't really never knew my father. Oh yeah, you know, him and my mom got divorced when I was three. I guess three. Yeah, and that, and that was it. He was out. Yeah, he was out. Yeah, he was out. Um, so it was just you and your mom. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, me and my mom, my two sisters. Got two sisters. Yeah, same dad. Same father. Yeah, he just split on everybody. Yeah, he didn't split. My mom, uh, she, uh, she, she left him. I guess. Okay. You know, or I, I don't know exactly what happened, but you know, they got divorced. Was, yeah. He didn't, you know, go smoke a cigarette. Or anything. <laughs> right, right, right. And you guys just, uh, you, you grew up in in that part of town. We did. We did. Are the sisters older? Mm, we're all more or less the same age, but they're younger than me. Oh you know? yeah. Yeah, we're all like. Within Nine a couple of years. Apart, yeah, oh, really? Something, yeah, something like that. So. And what they get involved in? What they? Uh, my sister Sharon is. She writes plays every now and then. She uh, teaches. Uh, my sister Anna works for DWP. You know, Department of Water and Power. So when you were coming up, you know, when you were you know, going to high school and shit, what do you think compelled you to this, uh, you know, research of the human brain? Uh, it's it's a, it's it's just from reading. You know, we didn't have a television. No, no. On purpose. Uh. Guess so. I guess so, but it, we just never had a television like for very spare moments. Yeah. But you know, for most of the time growing up, we never had a television. So my mom just had a library and just you know all of us just read the all of it. Yeah. You know, and uh, <laughs> yeah, what was like she had good taste, thankfully. So, yeah. You know, yeah. Like what were you getting? Oh, we got Heller, we got Bellow, we got Updike. You know, we got a ton of shit. And, really? Yeah. My mom's an artist and. So we just, just a whole broad of stuff. So it was like sort of like she was a creative person interested in, in that. Absolutely. She's interested in everything. So, uh. She a painter? Yes, she is. And, um, and she's smart as fuck. I mean, my mom's insanely smart. So it's, uh. What was the guidance? What did, was she obviously encouraging to creative life? Yeah, she didn't, she never encouraged, but she never discouraged. Right. You know? So she never. She didn't tell us much. You know, we didn't have a ton of rules. Yeah. We never had curfew or anything. Uh, So she didn't tell us much, but everything was there. And she just kind of dragged us to places, you know? And so- uh, Art openings. Yeah. And just never censored us. So, you know, we'd gone to all these movies, you know, since forever. Did she engage you on them? Yeah. Because I I think, you know, we're we're not very talkative, Mm -hmm. but amongst us, we're very talkative. And, you know, all of us have our little theories about shit. So- uh, so yeah, we talk about this stuff because I know in the book the sellout that like there is you know the thing is just infused just you know outside of the story yeah the thing is infused with you know a, a depth of of sort of cultural criticism yeah intellectual uh, assessments of film theory yeah. uh, you know semantics yeah that it, it's it's interesting because all through it all the characters seem at moments you know incredibly informed and sophisticated intellectually. Sort of, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think they don't make many distinguished. They're not very judgmental about it. There's shit that they like and there's shit that they don't. But yeah. it's not like 
they like highbrow. They had like lowbrow. It's all fused. Yeah, is it, that's what I mean. It's you all know? fused yeah. that you have like sort of like, you know, like street dialogue. But then all of a sudden out of nowhere, you know, you've got Truffaut references. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's just it's just language, man. It's uh, it's just yeah. language. Yeah. It's just language, but it's thought. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So when you didn't start, I mean, this is your, what is it, your second novel or third it's novel? My fourth. Fourth. But you started, like, the other place I think we could have crossed paths, but maybe not, maybe on the street, mm. was I was on the Lower East Side from, like, uh, 87, mm. 88 yeah. to, like, 92, 93. Okay. I was on second between A and B. Okay. That's, I mean, that's where I live. I live on second, you know. Now? Between, a, between B and C. So like, you saw the, the all the drug stuff. And I saw, the, yeah, the saw, end. Yeah, yeah. Like it yeah. was before Giuliani had taken yeah. over, and there was a lot of, uh, yeah, there was a lot of drugs on yeah. the street. That was it. That the was world, the street. Save the robots. Yes, uh, right around the corner. Yeah, I absolutely. never went to that shit, but I and I and I was trying to not do drugs, so yeah. I saw a lot of the behavior. Yeah, there was yeah. a doorway next to my house. Oh, I know, I know where you live. Then you lived. Uh, yeah, I know exactly where you live. Like there was this weird. Had that line outside. Exactly. Of the, yeah, I, I know exactly where. Yeah, you live. there was a line outside that doorway, and next to it was this weird garage full of cans. <laughs> there was like this garage. I don't know what was going on there, but they were just moving recyclables yeah, in and out yeah, of a little Latino yeah. guy. Yeah, there's a, the garage is still there. It's like a beer distributor exactly. or something like that yeah. right now and but there's a restaurant right there too there is like an yeah. italian restaurant yeah that's been there for a while yeah dude when i was there it was like insanity yeah it was um, just, i mean yeah i mean you, you go to new york so you know but uh so i didn't live there i, I didn't get down there till like 90 maybe i was living in east harlem and i did like six months in brooklyn for a while when i first got to new york before brooklyn was brooklyn brooklyn mm, i was deep in brooklyn i was in midwood so, yeah yeah so, but you know, you were at the New Yorican. Uh, yeah, I, I would read at the New Yorican. I'd read there. I'd read at St. Mark's Poetry Project. You know, um, but it was poetry. Yeah, it was. And what was it that? Because, like at that time, it seemed to me that that slam poetry thing, that New Yorican, that I knew guys who were you know in, innately funny. That there was a stand-up element to yeah, some of it. Yeah, I felt yeah. like I knew a guy who was a stand-up that actually went into it. Yeah, because uh, it seemed to give him more freedom yeah. than comedy. Yeah, what was your? What, yeah, I was just reading. You know, I'm not very performative. Really, uh, you were just reading. I just read. You know, I just read. I mean, especially when the place first opened. You know, there were a lot of disgruntled poets you know and that, that felt shut out of like saint mark's i don't know these poetry wars but uh <laughs> they are though yeah, right there I was mean, wars and anything yeah. so you know and it was just an open place it was nice you know creeley would be there just a ton of people would be there so, bob creeley was there yeah 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 did he pass away he did mm -hmm. he did and so um so for me it was just new york had a scene new york had its own thing you could yeah. drink and talk shit and you know right it was fun but i mean i think like really early on I had a friend of mine saying, yeah, you know, they're going to have velvet ropes out here very soon. Like, you could see that happening. To the poetry scene. Yeah, and it became, you know, it's... It, the thing I realized, I was just writing, you know, and it's nothing wrong with it, but, like, your friend, he's a stand-up. It was, it was so performative and so all these other things. Yeah, and then MTV got MTV, hold of it, like yeah. Maggie Estep. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, was uh, doing it. They were adding music to it yeah, sometimes. Yeah, I mean, nothing wrong with that, but that was me. You, you were know? you were more of a purist? Not a purist. I just read. You know, I'm kind of shy. I look down, and I just read, you yeah. know? And, uh, and, I, and for me, I think it's important for let the page, the words, do all the work, you yeah, know? Yeah, right. And, um, 
and let that do the selling, you know, whatever. Yeah, but, and so the other stuff, I just, I'm just uncomfortable doing it. So, but so you're like, in terms of reading poetry out loud, yeah, the words got to do it, but the pause has got to do it. Yeah, I kind of just blurted through it. Like, I was <laughs> uncomfortable, you know. Why'd you do it? Because it? it's, I think it was part of the job, you know, and like being a poet. Yeah, yeah. And so. I remember when I first got to New York and trying to figure out how to write, I saw Poets Magazine, some magazine. After, after you this finished is like, graduate so school. So I didn't finish grad school. So like midway through, I did my third year and I was like not studying for my qualifying exams. Yeah. And I was just like, yeah, I really don't want to do this, you know? And I was talking to my friend, Ruth Saad, actually. I don't yeah. know if you knew Ruth. I, I think didn't. it's possible that you got Okay. Maybe. Yeah. Anyways, um, we were just walking down, I think we're on Beacon. And I just remember saying to her one day, you know what? I think I want to write. And it just clicked. And I was like, yeah, I'm out. You know? And it was a good thing. So I was... And you hadn't written. Not really. Yeah. Not really. But like, I think I had this slow thing about how much I enjoyed writing, you know? Mm-hmm. and it, But it was just... Uh, it was slow, you know? And the thing was, you know, I, I mean, the good thing about Boston had all those great used bookstores and these great used record stores, you know? And... um. I was just reading everything I wasn't supposed to be reading, you know? And um, Like what? Oh, man. Just, there was a bookstore. I think it was on Beacon. So I would just dive in there, man, and E.E. E. Cummins, reading all this shit, you e. know? E. Cummins. Yeah, 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 all this yeah. kind of stuff. And the Beats play a part? No, not then so much. I mean, I had read Ginsburg and Kerouac a yeah. little bit, you know? But, and I'm aware of it and yeah. stuff, but that stuff came more into my sensibilities when I moved to New York. Yeah. You know, and Alan was my teacher for a while. Alan. Yeah, Ginsburg. Really? Yeah. And so... Uh, Where? At, at Brooklyn College. Yeah, cause I, so I, when I left BU, I just went to Brooklyn College and got my MFA. I didn't know what else, how you were supposed to do it. And at the time, there might have been 20, 25 places where you got your MFA writing or something. So I was either going to come back to California or go to New York. And so I ended up getting in Brooklyn College. And so I showed up kind of never having written anything except for these little poems I kind of squealed out, you know, to uh, send for the application. And so how'd you get in? I have no idea, you know, who knows, you know, who knows? And Alan was there towards the end of and, his life, wasn't um, he? No, it wasn't quite towards the end. I mean, he was up there, but, um, so this is, you know, late 80s, I guess. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So. Wow, that must be, like, his, uh, you know, he's one of these guys that I sort of have a, you know, I mythologized yeah, the beats right. when I was younger. Yeah. And, you know, and I had Alan's books, and, and uh, I've got a lot of the little the ones uh, that he that he wrote in the big collection, and he what was he like as a teacher? He was he was a, he was very gracious. Yeah, you know, um, yeah, he was very gracious. He was a like, key, you know, opened his doors and he told uh-huh. really good stories. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> yeah, he certainly yeah, had him. Yeah, and um, what did you learn from him? Yeah, you know, I think the thing I really learned from Alan is um, is precision. Mm-hmm. You know, he was so big on clarity and precision. And, mm-hmm editing and wasted breath and all this kind of stuff and uh i mean i learned a lot and 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 not so much from him but a thing that i sort of got at the at brooklyn like these basic things yeah which was like you kind of have to be fearless a little bit you know in terms of exposing yourself or what it's your choice right for me it was just not censoring myself you know not like a very taking a personal writer you know i don't talk about myself very much you know even though what I write is very personal, but yeah. it's not so much about me necessarily. You yeah. Know? But um, yeah, you know, just 
Yeah, I had a t- another teacher there, Tucker Farley, who was just she was nuts, but she really just pushed you know how we think. And I had another guy, Lou Asikoff, who was you know close with Alan, who uh, who really encouraged me because when I was there, after the first year, the professor told me to stop writing. You know, I got like a C plus in poetry. Really? <laughs> yeah. We sat down. She was like, "Yeah, I really think this isn't for you." And really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so. But I, thank goodness I had a guy who I'm still very close with today, this Professor Lou Asikoff, who yeah. we used to meet with, you know, once a week for an hour and so yeah. and read my poems alongside me. You know, so I told Lou, yeah, I guess I'm quitting. <laughs> I guess I suck, <laughs> you know. And Lou was like, he was beautiful, man. He was, um, he, he told me, you're doing something that no one else is doing. You know, you're on to something. Really? Yeah. It was so helpful. I can't tell you how helpful he was to me. And he told me a thing that really slowed me down, which was people are going to learn how to read you. Because I'd been struggling with this. You know, what am I supposed to do? What language? You know, how do you like all these things that you talked about before? Like, yeah. This fusion of language. Yeah. You know, who needs to understand what and all this kind of stuff. Right. I'm really struggling with that. And uh, and so Lou told me, yeah, people are going to learn to read you. Yeah. You know, don't listen to her. Just come back and keep it going. And it's funny because at the end of that year, I'd written a poem finally a poem that I was like, yeah, I kind of like this, Yeah, you know? And there was a kid in the class and I remember reading that poem and the kid was like, this, I don't understand this. I don't get it. Blah, blah, blah. This doesn't make any sense. None of this is, this is the worst poem I've ever read. You know? (laughs) And then so that next year, we had Allen Ginsberg. Yeah. And so Ginsberg, we had the same class, just different teacher. Right. And Ginsberg comes in, he goes, let's start from the top, bring in your best poem. We're going to start from there. So I brought up that poem. It was my best poem. Yeah. And I read that same poem and that same kid was like, oh, Paul's a genius. This is an allusion to this. This is a reference, you know, this whole thing. And I had been really struggling about what words kind of, you know, all this kind of stuff. And I was just like flat. I mean, he, I didn't have to say anything. Like he pretty much got it in the way that he got it. And I remember asking him after class, I said, dude, what happened, man? You hated that poem. <laughs> yeah. And he just was like, ah, you know, I spent three months in New York, you know, over the summer. Uh-huh. And it just said, opened his head, opened his ears, opened his eyes. Right. You know? Yeah. And it, But for me, it wasn't like, yeah, whatever I do is good. But it was this thing of just, you know, there's so much happening. You know, all this is shifting. Right. You know? And it's like something, you know, that you learn in psych about, like, everyone's in a different place at a different time. You know, there's just so much movement. Right. In terms of your political awareness, in terms of every, everybody's just in different places. You you know? can, yeah, you can always get your mind blown. Yeah, yeah. And you can always blow back, you know. It's just, just, you know, I think people think of this consciousness as this progression somehow, you know. And also poetry, I think, uh, as a form is something that it does grow with you, you know, that you can read a poem and be completely outside of it. Yeah. And then years later, come back to it and have a completely different experience yeah, I mean, with that's it. like anything. That's like a good joke. That's like anything. Sure. You know, so yeah. um, good painting, you know, it's- yeah, That's you right. change, you know? Yeah. Well, jokes are a little more descriptive. Like, you know, I mean, you, you might not think something's funny, but like, right? I mean, I get what you're saying about a turn of phrase or a joke, but like sometimes poems have a code to them. Jokes are, are not that coded. You don't think so? What do you mean by code, I guess? Well, I mean that, you know, a joke you know, in and of itself, like a story or a joke. Sure. Unless it's some sort of uh, Hasidic tale yeah. that has a cryptic ending. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, you should at least know the structure of like, you know, that's where the funny is. And if I'm not getting the funny, it's usually means uh, it's because you don't know something. Yeah, yeah. But that's the same with the, I, I guess think that's so. the same. Okay. You know, it's like, okay. again, it's that baggage. Yeah. You know, like I what do you so. bring it to? Yeah, it, yeah. You know? So, uh, 
So what did Alan think of that poem? Yeah, I think Alan liked it. I mean, I think Alan, um, he saw something in me, I hope. You know, I think, you know, I kind of can romanticize all this stuff. But he did a, a nice thing with, is he did this, he did this speaking series. Yeah. Where he brought in all these black male poets. Yeah. I think I was kind of the only black kid in poetry. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I was. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, he brought in these guys, Quincy Troop, uh, Amiri Baraka, yeah. this other cat, Kofi Natambu. And those were guys, it was fun to listen to. Like, I didn't agree with hardly anything they said, but it was really interesting to hear them talk about their processes and how they thought, just where they, they're, they're fit in that world. Like, what do you mean you didn't agree with yeah. them? Yeah. Uh, so I remember one guy, you know, Alan, because, you know, Alan brings all this environmental stuff to the table. Sure. He brought so much stuff to the table. So I remember him talking to Quincy about just the world, just the physical environment and i remember quincy going yeah that's your problem you know <laughs> I just was like whoa that's so weird I you know there's there's a lot of stuff yeah. you know yeah and uh but it was it was really refreshing for me you know and um i don't i just 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 opened my head up a little bit but was that the first time you really came in contact with black poets uh yeah i guess so yeah, yeah i mean you know i didn't know too many people that wrote outside of school yeah so uh like Amir would invite me to his things. They they weren't for me, you know. Right. But um, why? It just they weren't. I'm not a I'm not a group person. Right. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not a I'm not a an ideologue like that. You right. know, I'm not like uh, writing is fighting necessarily. It might be, but I don't think of it that way. You know, uh-huh. so yeah. So that just stuff. But you know, but I respect the intellect. You yeah, know, I've learned so much from Amir over the. He's a really good writer, and yeah, and those guys were open. You know, Quincy really helped me. It's funny I think about that because I guess that's where I met Quincy. Quincy gave me all these fucking great readings back in the day. That you know, I didn't know you could make five thousand dollars for reading some poems. You know, in nineteen ninety five. You know, I didn't know you could do that. You know, right. so Quincy was really helpful in that in the in that kind of stuff, and just you know, good guys. Yeah, you know, yeah. willing sure. to share. And sure. Stuff, so yeah, and it's very specific, and it's a creative endeavor. You know, like poetry. I mean, yeah, they're good guys, but I mean, it's like it's not a huge world. No, absolutely not. Yeah, absolutely <laughs> you know, not, which, like, is, which was good for me at the time. I mean, yeah. yeah, yeah. And when did you read, like, because at the end of the book, you know, you, you, I mean, like, I'm not well versed in in much of anything. It's all sort of random. But, you know, you do, uh, you go out of your way to talk about William E. Cross Jr.'s Piece, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the Negro to Black Conversion <laughs> yeah. Experience yeah, in Black yeah. World 20, July 1971. Yeah, yeah. I read that in grad school. Yeah, I don't remember. Yeah. Well, what would, when you were in grad school, when you were an undergrad, you know, when you talk about baggage or you talk about, you know, personal baggage or, or growing into it, how much were you involved in educating yourself about race? Yeah, uh, that's a good question. I mean, I think different different places at different times uh-huh. you know so you know i kind of tend to hang out with who's ever close you know proximity it doesn't matter who they are <laughs> they're <laughs> nearby i'm kind of lazy so <laughs> yeah, yeah you know if you're in that sphere then we're gonna hang out you right. know or attempt to at least so you know i had a, a crew of kids you know this kind of lived on my floor yeah you know and then, when you were a kid no at bu oh yeah you know and uh same when i was a kid you know i hung out with the kids on the block right. so uh yeah, for the most part. But I had other friends, I guess through my mom and stuff. But, you know, so the the race thing is always there. It's, you know, it's everything's always everywhere. So that was always there. But, you know, for the most part of undergrad, most of my friends were white, I guess, you know, except cats that I played basketball with. I used to referee games and stuff, like intramural games. So you uh-huh. met a lot of people. Yeah. And then, you know, uh, 
I don't know if you remember all this, but like, you know, all the divestiture movement out of South Africa and stuff. I don't know if you remember with all Fred, this. With Silber? You know, that, yeah, that with he Silber had invested. Right. And, there was protests. Zinn was a part of all these movements. That's right. And, and you remember Howard all Zinn. this? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So, I mean, I just like on the periphery of that kind of stuff. Leading those protests yeah. against. Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, it's not like, you know, and then I had another professor at BU, um, Althea Smith, who was... Uh, she's one of the few black professors that I had there, but who was, you know, really doing interesting research and stuff around race and all this. It's always kind of cool for me to just think about this stuff. Yeah. And then so, like, you know, the thing I was like, you know, at the time, I guess people still, people would say, oh, racism, racism, racist, racist. And I just was like, what does that mean? You know, yeah. <laughs> like, what are we talking about here? Yeah. And then so I was like trying to like come up with a scale like this kind of Richter scale of racism. You know, yeah. that's a 7.5. You know, because I was trying to because we use that word to mean so much. And it's and I don't know how you measure these things. Yeah. And it's not like, you know, you know, like, I don't know. That's the best I can do is come up with this Richter scale of racism. So in, in the sense of measuring it mean like, you know, what is essentially hatred and what is essentially Ignorance and what is essentially impolite not, or what? Yeah, not not that. Like, in, just in terms of impact. Yeah. So you On know, you. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. I remember I used to work at Trader Joe's. And I always remember working at Trader Joe's. Where? Uh, National and Westwood. This is right near the house. So, like yeah. one of the early Trader Joe's? Yeah, Trader Joe's. I think it's Trader Joe's number seven. This is okay. when there were no Trader right. Joe's. I remember that. Long there was, right, right, right. Ago. So, yeah. Yeah. So, you and, worked there. Yeah. And I remember, I don't know doing the icebox or whatever. And I remember a black woman coming in the store and the white kid I was working with going, hey, do you think she's pretty? And I just went, wait a minute. That's, that was just so weird for me. Yeah. Like, why is he asking me that? You know, yeah, yeah. Is that race? You know, I didn't know what it was necessarily, you know. But it's like the, all these little things, you know, I'm just... And how did you judge that? How did I judge that from him? He was one of the kids who I actually didn't know very well. Uh-huh. But so I'm like, you know, then, I don't know, I must have been... 18, 19 or uh-huh. something. I don't know how old I was. And I was like, well, you know, people come in there all the time. Yeah. And you never go, hey, hey, is she this? Yeah. You know, you just tell me you think she's that. Right. It's like, you know, what is that about? Like, what are you, you know. That switch. Yeah. And I'm not saying it's necessarily a bad thing. And this is before any psychology. Yeah. yeah. I guess so. Or very early on in that. And yeah. just all, I mean, all these, just a ton of little things. Uh-huh. And uh, not so little sometimes. Yeah. But just trying to figure out, like, where, where's this definite i mean it's these things all these words that i never know what they mean i never know like what are some other ones satire pride all these kind of things you know i just i don't know what these words mean you know um i know what they mean in the in the context yeah but they're so fuzzy for me satire is kind of fuzzy yeah absolutely (laughs) and like when people use these words you know like are they self-serving? Are they? Are you using them as shields? Are they? You know, it's just. Uh, Where does pride come into yeah, it? Yeah, so pride's like one of the things. I mean, I lived in Germany for a while. Really? Where? In Berlin. What year was that? That was like ninety six, ninety seven. Huh. Yeah. What brought you there? Didn't have any money, so I, I went to Berlin. Had a beautiful. It was fine. How long? About a year and a half, I guess. Really? Maybe a little bit less. Uh-huh. Uh huh. That must have been interesting. Yeah, it was. I didn't go outside very much. <laughs> <laughs> didn't engage with no the culture? I, yeah i was i was uh i was going through a lot of stuff personally and and just i had a hard time there being stared at being dragged around well like were you depressed i'm always depressed so you know that 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 goes without saying really yeah totally. <laughs> yeah so yeah i was um you know i just my first novel had come out like there was a bunch of stuff going on 
And I just hadn't had any friends I had met like in a really organic way. Right. Anyways. So, you know, I just listened to them talk. Everyone's so goddamn smart there. And I remember people saying, you know, they weren't allowed to say, I'm proud to be German. And I was like, oh, wow, that's wild. You know, it's like almost illegal to say that. Really? Yeah, because like, what does that mean? You know, yeah. and it just made me think about this black pride, all this kind of shit that I just, I don't know what that means. Like, is that like a constant or are you allowed to be pri- proud for just five seconds and then the other, se- you know, five seconds, you don't give a fuck and... What are the things that you feel are black embarrassments or German embarrassings? Like, how does, like, what's the equation? Like, where's this, how does this pride needle work, you know? Well, I guess when it's, a, uh, it's it, right, I understand what you're saying. And I think that when it's used in, in, in that broad sense that it is about uh, uh, it, kind of strengthening or diminishing an identity. Yeah, or, you know, I mean, I understand, like, the need to self-affirm like yeah. that sometimes. But, you know... That also comes with a cost, and it also comes with this kind of hierarchical kind of sense, you know? How do you mean? You know, so I'm African-American. If yeah. I have black pride, whatever yeah. that is, what does that, what does that do for you as a, as a white person or you as a California pride? You know, like how right. do all these prides work together? Because you're, you're just not just one thing. There's just so much shit happening. Sure. You know? Sure. And, it's, a, it's a loaded and broad idea. Yeah. And, the, and so, uh, this is not going to make any sense, but yeah. I remember being on ComAv once. And with a bunch of black kids and there was something happening. These two kids got into a fight. Da, da, da. And there was this kid and he was like, oh, I'm so embarrassed as a black person. Da, da, da. And I just remember looking at him going, wait, why are you embarrassed? This has nothing to do with you. But this weird kind of collective thing. Yeah. That. I, I just I never I don't know how to process it you right know? so well what was the fight was it within the group you were yeah, with or I you don't, walked I, by they were it? just two people you know doing something and he oh. felt embarrassed as a black guy because two other black people were doing something that he was embarrassed by I, right. I just I didn't understand that oh oh that we're all represented yeah yeah I just I didn't understand that yeah and so yeah you know I saw this documentary about like the oi movement in in uh in the UK yeah and this skinhead guy's talking and he, they were like, well, what appealed to you about the movement? And he goes, yeah, you know, I had an embarrassment about being working class. And that music, that scene, and he wanted to say pride, and then he stopped himself. Because he went, no, it's not about pride, but I just wasn't embarrassed about it anymore. And I was like, yeah, that's exactly it. Hmm. You know? Yeah. And and I was like, that's exactly it. And for me, there's a distinction there somehow. Yeah. You know? What was the oi movement? That's just skinhead music, you know, punk music. Yeah, and yeah. just, you know, this kind of thing. Which has offshoots and, and yeah, sort of evolved. Yeah, some nationalistic and, offshoots. It just has some kind of music. It has some alternative. It has a ton of offshoots. That's you know? interesting. Not be embarrassed. Just and, not being and, embarrassed. And shameless in yeah, a way. Yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah. like he was talking about like how he would be embarrassed about telling people where he was from and all this kind of thing. And then at some point, he just kind of didn't give a fuck. You know, but it wasn't about necessarily having pride in right. fr- being from the place, but right. not being embarrassed about. It's an interesting distinction for me. Well, it's interesting that 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 you glean that information that what delivered the goods uh, in terms of of how to wrap your brain around some element of pride was you know delivered by you know something that is really uh, uh, identified as a nationalistic. Uh, you know, you know, somewhat white supremacist movement. Yeah, I mean, but like in Germany, I had many friends who would say these things, but there was interesting ways that sometimes made me com- uncomfortable for whatever reason about that they did show their national pride yeah you know might not be flag waving then but there were things hey da-na-na, i'm not allowed to say this but x y and z yeah you know and um i don't really 
really and and then you know they were still like you know the wall had just really been down and so there was this interesting thing about what german pride was you know i had some east german friends with their i'm going to use the word pride and being east german but you know this how these identities shift and and how quickly identity gets created you know? yeah yeah and just um and just at this, the time you know i wrote a, a bunch of stuff about it but like at the time it reminded me a lot about what i had read about you know the reconstruction era here in the states yeah you know, in African Americanness and Germanness, I don't know. There was just a lot of similarities for me, really. Really, yeah. In terms of of the identification of genocide, yeah, yeah and yeah. and 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 having no real way out of not being identified with that, and the the reconstruction and the and the the black community being identified with this indentured servitude and, and and moving out from that yeah you know and in a sense of trying to reconstruct a new kind of national identity you yeah know? right and yeah and with some things that initially were good and then you know the south had these things that they want to do and hey we need to bring back segregation we need to draw these lines back you know just how identity gets shaped and just it was just interesting for me and just for me like the heaviness of just that weight that that i'm german i'm black and it comes with so much heft you yeah, know, these yeah. words. And it just, there was a lot of similarities there. I mean, I joke about them, but, you know, there was just a lot of similarity there for me. And you don't have any control over what you're born into and, you know, and how you sort of move through your life and, and, and realize the weight of that stuff. Um, that's your own thing. Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, you know, you get to uh, figure out how you want to cope, you know. And we are talking about my mom earlier. You know, I just saw my sisters yesterday. And we're so appreciative that our mom never told us you like I never had any conversations with her about being black or any of this when I yeah. was young. And she just kind of left it us left it up to us to figure out how we wanted to cope, uh-huh. you know, how we wanted to learn, you know, the social mores and stuff and how we want to, you know, we just left it up to us. And so, yeah, my whole family is weird about this stuff. We don't really think about these things in the way that a lot of people do. Is that a, a plus? Uh, yeah, I think it is a plus for us, you know, because we, neither of us, the word my sister used the other day was boundaries. We don't have a ton of boundaries about shit. At yeah. least we think we don't. Right. You know? And, uh, and I think that's definitely a plus. Yeah. yeah. So it seems like, you know, when I, you know, when I got the sellout, so I start reading this book and, you know, the, it just opens with, it just, it just like, you're right in it. There's a dude. <laughs> handcuffed to a chair right yeah yeah waiting to be you know to sit stand before the supreme court yeah yeah. and there's weed involved and there's a lot of things going on now you know moving in from what we're talking about and in in terms of how you're talking about you you know identifying the meaning of these things it it seems like this book is sort of a, a reckoning with it yeah i guess so what does reckoning mean? I mean that you know it's it, it is about race. Yeah, I guess. I mean, yeah. I mean, he is who he is. You know, I right. am who I am. So it just shapes. It's all. It always is about race. But when so it's like oh right, it's okay. always you know right. So yeah, I mean, but these are things that are important to him. These are things that factors that have shaped how he lives bon, his bon. life. Yeah, Bon Bon, whatever his name is. Yeah, you know. And so, yeah, of course. What is his whole name? The, the main character doesn't have a whole. I think in my head there's a name. You know, his last name is Me. Yeah. So, uh, 
<laughs> yeah, it's like I was looking for it. I'm like, I'm about to talk to him, but I can't remember the <laughs> character's name. So it's not my fault. No, you, not, you, at all. not at all. We get we get Foy Cheshire. We get the old man's yeah, name. Yeah. We get a lot of people's name around yeah. him, but yeah. he doesn't have a name. He, he, you know, he's got a nickname and he's got a surname, but he doesn't really have like a Christian name. But when you're like when you're writing poetry and you say things like, you know, you you, you you're crafting these words. The words are important, and that you know, it, early on, you're writing things that. We're not making sense to people. Yeah. And you got the support early on from one guy who said that's because you're you're doing something that people are going to have to come yeah. to. Yeah. But you're committing to these words. Yeah, absolutely. And you're thinking about absolutely. Them. So, you know, these you know, these there's definitely poetry in this book, obviously, but there there are also big ideas that are driving the narrative. Yeah. You know, specifically you have this, you know, this odd you know, black character yeah. who wants to segregate the schools yeah. and reinstate slavery in his neighborhood. Sort of. He doesn't Kinda. really do it. Right. But that's the thing. With it's what? the power of these words. You know, he never segregates anything because yeah. it's already fucking segregated. Right. So that was the fun of it for me. Yeah. Is how do you segregate something that's already segregated? Right. Where you don't have any white people anywhere near the place yeah. you know, for the most part. Right. You know, how do you do that? How do you build in that notion, that consciousness of segregation? So yeah. that was really fun for me. Yeah. You know? <laughs> How do you have a slave that's not a slave? You right. know what I mean? And how do you have a masochistic slave who actually enjoys being beat? You know, like all these kind of things are are fun for me to just to yeah, I don't know, reckoning's not the word that I would use cuz yeah. it feels like that there's a finality to that. For me it's just a rendering, not uh-huh. a reckoning, you uh-huh. know? Uh-huh. You weren't you weren't looking to make a point. No, not at all. No, no, not at all. Not at all. I just, I, what's the point to be made? You know, it's like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not trying to change anyone's mind or anything. Make you think a little bit, make you feel, make you tingle, make you laugh. I don't know. Laugh, whatever. How long did it take you to write this book? It took like five years to write that book, man. It took a long, long time. How, what's your process? I just had these ideas, you know, so I had an idea for the hominy character because I had like, this thing, I love the little rascals. The old slave. Yeah. So I love the little rascals. Yeah. And I always thought of, like, who was next in line? You know how it went, like, Farina, Stymie. I don't know. Did you watch the little sure, rascals? Sure, Alfalfa. Yeah. But, you know, like, for the black guys, it was Farina, then Stymie. They kind of bring him in slowly, and then they bring Buckwheat in slowly. And I was like, well, who was Buckwheat's understudy? Like, who was that next person who has the racial <laughs> zeitgeist change, just missed his chance at stardom? Yeah. You know? Like, who was The that? next black kid. Yeah, exactly. So I just, I just love the phrase, Buckwheat's understudy. <laughs> So I had that. That's all you had? No, I had a couple of things. I had that. I had the sense of that neighborhood, you know, this place that's California. Dickens. Dickens, you know, that's agrarian at the same time. That's whatever the inner city is supposed to be. At the, you know, all these kind of things. And uh, But was once a farming community. Yeah, sort of. You right. Know? And uh, so I had that. And, um, and I had this kind of notion about segregation, but I didn't really know what it was. But I knew I wanted to kind of figure out this this idea of what segregation is. And uh, For yourself? Not for myself, but just to, to render it like in this contemporary kind of way. Yeah. You know, talk about something that exists that we don't really acknowledge very much. Right. You know, you know I was talking with a friend of mine, Mexican-American guy who runs a magazine called Ziziva, kind uh-huh. of Oscar. Yeah. And I was talking to one of my students who was interning, a black kid named Chris. And Chris was talking, we were drinking, and Chris was looking at me and Oscar's about my age, you know, late 40 or so. Yeah. And Chris goes, oh, you guys must have had it so hard. And me and Oscar looked at what are you talking about? He's like, oh, all the racism you guys must have faced. And me and Oscar just started laughing. And we both, like, almost in unison said to him, oh, no, you had it. You have it way worse than we have it. You know, because there's just a... What is he? 
Chris is the African American kid, from, you know, from yeah. Northern California, smart kid, you yeah. know. And uh, and it was interesting to hear Oscar, me and Oscar, say this thing at the same time, you know, just give this improvised riff. I know you guys have it worse than we had it, yeah, because they have a they feel a limitation of always having to say the right thing and not being able to acknowledge anything because it means that something you, you mean know? younger people yeah, yeah 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 and uh and for us that was like yeah no we could just spout and complain and bitch and moan and you guys aren't allowed to bitch and moan really because then something's wrong with you if right. you're bitch and moan because everything's in place for you to you know be whoever you want to be so anyways and it was interesting and it just made me shape about just this this idea of post-racial, all this fucking crap, you know. But I never, again, these are words that I don't know what the fuck they mean, you know. Well, uh, clearly they, they, they seem to mean less than they might have thought to have meant initially. Yeah, but it's, it's with a lot of stuff, you know. Yeah. And so... So you think that things are relatively unchanging? I think, no, I think that things do change. But I think, you know, we as people remain the fucking same. Uh-huh. You know, it always have remained the same. And uh, I remember reading uh, this, this, the old uh, WPA slave narratives, you know, where they went around to these living slaves and to keep artists employed. And they interviewed these living slaves. What was it like? Dun, 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 tell me about your life. And I remember reading some of those things and listening to these. Depends. You could tell who the interviewer was by the, how they were talking, what words they used. And yeah. How they, anyways. But I, I remember being blown away how the, the a lot of the slaves was, you know, these niggas, these, this. And I was like, oh, my God, I thought black people started saying niggas in the 70s. You know what I mean? <laughs> but you just realize how old all this shit is. Yeah. You know? And yeah. it helps. In the, you know, it's a weird way it, how I think about L.A. Yeah. You know, all these words that just don't die. Yeah. Rad, gnarly. You know, all these words, you know? So, yeah. And um, for me, it's like more about the timelessness and about like, how do we measure progress? I'm not saying there is no progress, uh-huh. you know, but it's like, how do we measure it? You know, like, okay, is Obama progress? Yes, no, how? You know, is the Civil Rights Act progress? You know, all this kind of stuff. For me, it's just, it's fun to play with. You know? And when something happens, like what's happening now in our culture, how does that zap your brain? Wait, so what's now? Like, what, what's this what? That, that we shift, the shift from Obama to uh, a reaction like Trump. Yeah, I mean, these shifts happen, you know? I mean, there's a reason that we've, you know, that the shift went from Obama to Trump and not, you know, Obama to Paul Ryan or Obama to Kucinich, you know, there's a reason why they picked this guy. And uh, what those reasons are exactly, I don't really know. You know, I have my ideas. Yeah. And um, and and these things happen, again, back to Germany, like this thing of people feeling censored, even though they aren't fucking censored, but they feel censored. Somebody's telling them that they're censored. And we were talking earlier about like, you know, the, when do you have the, the lattice work for a totalitarian state, yeah. you know? And and I think, you know, we're so used, but these things break down. You yeah. know, Hitler was fucking elected. They elected yeah. that fucker twice. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's about this breakdown of like how these things break down. And that's the stuff that really gets scary for me, you know, because um, you, you adapt so easily to, to losing things. Yeah. You know, people, and all, your rights, your your accessibility. I mean, you adapt. What you do you think that's from? that's i don't know that's from a lot of stuff i think a lot of it is you know it's hard to acknowledge things that if you want to change you're actually going to have to change your behavior you're actually going to have to shift your life around you know and make some real sacrifices you know and it's so hard for people to notice this stuff you know there's just you you have a kind of um 
you know, you have a kind of kinetic energy in your life that you're just, you know, you don't want to disrupt that flow, you right. know? And, yeah. And it's hard to admit that these people <laughs> fucking hate me. <laughs> yeah. You know, and especially people that you've been around for so long. Yeah. And this person who was your neighbor, all of a sudden you're this person's worst enemy. I remember when, when talking to a friend about OJ being acquitted. Yeah. And she was talking to somebody, a woman who was a lawyer. And she was so angry, you know, you know, this, you know, miscarriage of justice. And she went, yeah, I got to rethink my stance on affirmative action on all this kind of shit. And I went, what does that fucking have to do with OJ getting off? Yeah. But it's this way of associating African-Americanness, this country, whose country is it? You know, and the way that good people become bad also, you know, um, my wife tells a story about, you know, her step grandfather grew up in Hamburg, you know, in the early thirties. And they had this teacher, you know, this beautiful guy who all the students liked and they would ask him, Oh, so what about Hitler? And he'd be like, ah, don't worry about that. There's, you know, nothing to worry about, you know, they can't do any of this stuff. None of it makes sense. No, no, no. You know, but then one day he came in and he went, class, there's a fresh wind blowing. You know, like at some point the rhetoric got to him. There was something in him yeah. that, you know, and, and, you know, my wife's grandfather's Jewish and he has to rethink about, fuck, he doesn't even see me. He doesn't, you know, you just, right. these things happen. Yeah. You know, these, these, these things happen. It's yeah. not like being, you press a button and then everybody's a fucking fascist. Yeah. But, you know, these things click. Um, and some of it's fear. I mean, it clicks for a ton of reasons. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like, I just want to be on the winning side, you know? Right, and, um, sure. Clicks for a ton of reasons. And for me, like, there's an interesting thing about, like, who's the sellout? Like, you know, what's the sellout? Right. You know, and that that notion is in any kind of thing, you know? And I, I, a friend of mine gave me a book. It's called The Directory of Uncle Tom's. It's a fucking beautiful book. <laughs> yeah. Really well researched. When was that about? Oh, God, that must that book must be from the mid-90s, I think. Maybe well, a little bit later. Who wrote it? I don't know. I, can, I don't think anybody's name is on it. Oh, really? Yeah. And uh, it's such a good book. So you name anybody, Urkel, anybody, any black person who's ever done anything in life, they're in that book. Because at some level, this is where this person has sold. It's just... This like whose sensibility, like whose who's whose sense of what blackness is are we talking about? Yeah. I just I love that book. It's really funny. It's really well researched too. It's a really good book. But it's like, you know, but for me it's like these things aren't like just tied in being black. Right. So like we were talking about the kid the guy doesn't have a name. And so I had this a line that I liked in my head. It was like, you know, all this Supreme Court, you know, Roe versus Wade, you know. Yeah. Gore versus the United States of America, whatever these cases are. And I had a funny thing about, oh, me versus the United States of America. That's kind of funny. So then I have to come up with a way of, well, how do I justify this non-existent surname? Yeah. You know, so I go, oh, yeah, they were the me's. And then I use all these things. But these examples for me, which are really interesting, about mostly these Jewish guys changing their names and doing all this kind of stuff. And, yeah. You know, all these comedians, all these people who I really admire, but like this, that, that process is so familiar to a ton of people. Right. Changing your name. You're changing your name. To be more appealing. To and be less more appealing. Is that a sellout? Is that, you know, like, what is, what are we talking about here? And so, I don't know, that's one of my favorite parts in the book, actually, you know? The, the, the but it's like, who are his exemplars for these behaviors aren't always necessarily black, you know? They're right. Just from, from all over the place. And, what are your biggest comedic influences? What was the? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. But I mean, you, I, you know, what, the anthology. I don't, I don't have it. Yeah. But when you put together an anthology of yeah. black humor, yeah. you know, what it, it seemed like a very 
at least diverse within the forms. Yeah. Well, I think Malcolm X is hilarious. So I put in all this kind of stuff, you know, from Malcolm X. On purpose? Yeah, absolutely on yeah. purpose. You know, because I just think he's fucking funny. And, uh, you know, in addition to being a ton of other things, he's just yeah. also funny. And so there's a ton of my comedic influences. My family's pretty funny. Richard Pryor, of course, you know. Yeah, yeah. Sitting around listening to all those albums, Franklin and Jai. Oh, yeah. Carl yeah. Reiner. You know, like when you sat down and listened to- 2000 you know, Yeah, of course. All that kind of stuff, you know. Well, because people like I see in like some of the, the, the press on the book that they-, they 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 want to keep comparing it to stand up, and as a stand up, yeah, I mean, it's, I, I it's this goes far beyond the the capability of stand up. I, I I don't know if I agree with you there, to be honest. You know, mm. like you know, I I can't believe that's a nice thing to say. <laughs> I think no, no, I mean that like, that you have you know because of your you know all stand ups use words, and and some stand ups have great bits, and some of those bits you know transcend time and are with us forever. Sure, but in terms of of nuance. Uh, that can you know keep pushing? Well, I'm just saying you, you it's a lot of writing. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. No, that <laughs> you, part is different. You, you're not doing bits. Yeah, that. But I you, think you are doing some bits. Yeah. But. No, but I mean, you know, if I think of like comedy that's moved me yeah. and that has stayed with me, it's not about the volume. Of course, you not. know, it's no, about no, yeah. the, the 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 punch. The, yeah, absolutely. What are some of those? So this is the thing. Yeah. You know, like. You know, this concept of blackface. Blackface is bad, blah, blah, blah. You know, you don't do it. You don't do this thing. Yeah, there's some blackface in the book. Yeah, of yeah. course, you know. Because, I mean, there's a, a ton of legacies. There's this Hollywood legacy, this whole thing. So it yeah. has to be in there. So, you know, and I remember, you must know this. Maybe you don't. But uh, do you remember this old Saturday Night Live skit where Billy Crystal plays this Negro League baseball player? Yeah. And he's in the blackest of fucking blackface. Yeah. It's about smelt night. Yeah. And talking yeah. about, it's so fucking funny. Yeah. And it's one of those things where, I guess, is it racist? Is it not? I don't fucking know. But it is funny. Right. And, and I remember talking to my friend Daryl about this a lot. And I'm like, well, how did he get away with this? And, you know, somebody else does it and, you know, they don't get away with it. And my friend Daryl goes, you know why? For whatever it is, is he cared about this? Like he, there was a genuine something. Yeah. There. Yeah. And he was invested in a real personal way. And you can maybe argue that with, you know, Al Jolson. Maybe sure, you could argue sure. that, but it's different. It's still yeah. different. Right. And um, well, there you know two different time periods and this whole thing. I, I, yeah, I think everyone always has these rules. It's this is bad. This is not bad. This is when you can laugh, when you can't laugh. All this kind of shit. And I, I mean, I laugh at the wrong time all the time. Well, yeah, you know. but that but that's sort of the beauty of comedy. I mean, it's like you know, is, is it the wrong time? You know, what you know, why is somebody laughing? Yeah, uh, you know, those are personal questions sometimes. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and it's um, and I think like in terms of like whatever Billy Crystal was doing and whatever Al Jolson was doing was that you know there was a tradition that had become you know inappropriate at some point, but I I don't think that if you were to ask Billy about that guy, he would say it was a blackface character. He might he not. I don't know what the hell he, he would was. Say. Not, I don't know that he was doing minstrelsy, per se. Yeah. But you know, at some point, you know, if you put any of that black on your face, yeah, you, then you are uh, identifying with the legacy. So, but it's the thing of like how these words are tied. Like, so do you remember Sarah Palin being on Saturday Night Live? Yeah. And I was like, this is just she's a coon. You yeah. Know, it's the same fucking <laughs> thing being forced to laugh at yourself when you really don't want to laugh. 
Right. But, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And, but that's your way of ingratiating yourself with your potential electorate or whatever she's doing, you know? Sure. I, I just, these weird ways, you know? And so for me, I see these behaviors all the time in different capacities, you know, not so much always tied to race. You know, as you said, there's different traditions or different legacies, you know, but the behavior is, it crosses all that kind of stuff. You yeah. Know? And you do that in the book all over the place. I hope so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's the thing is that, you know, you have all these different threads of thought and and identity and uh, and entertainment, you know, that, you know, that you turn in on themselves by having these weird behaviors of these, you know, these like white girls and stuff, you know, putting on black faces, being part of this audience. It's there's so much in the book. I can't remember bits and pieces. (laughs) Neither can I. So I mean, like, it's it's pretty fascinating. The 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 fury of pace and imagery that you get in these things. I mean, when you say you took five years to do it, like I can't even go through all the different tiers of, I mean, Christ, there's enough about farming fruit in there to, you know, write a whole other piece on it. Yeah. <laughs> like you, at yeah. some point, you nerded out about farming. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, it's growing up from, you know, it starts from these little stupid things growing up in California, you yeah. know, having a lemon tree in the backyard, you <laughs> yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. And it just grew out of that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, absolutely. Well, you know, was it, I, I was what, what was brought to mind was that, you know, in talking about, there was something interesting that Spike Lee did with that, with the movie Bamboozled. Yeah. That I can't ever get out of my head but, yeah. was to bring contemporary. Uh, uh, sort of focus production values to uh, you know a minstrel show, yeah, and and to put it on in that you know with that spectacle, yeah, was sort of fucking mind blowing. Yeah, you know I love the idea of that movie. God, I'm usually not so critical in public of shit, yeah. but I love the idea of that movie. But the problem was is that the minstrel show wasn't fucking funny. Uh-huh. So for me, it just <laughs> debased the whole thing of this thing blowing up because I was like. I love this idea, but the thing is, how do you really give that show some punch? Right. Like some contemporary punch that would really make it work in that context. Right. So I couldn't buy the movie because the minstrelsy stuff wasn't funny. Right. Like it was just kind of... It was It was actually... It seemed like it was actually from the era. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I, that was probably the point he was trying to make. I, but it was probably a discussion, but I know what you're saying. Yeah. Like, that it would have been more powerful a movie... If he had contemporary, it made it more contemporary. Yeah, maybe you know. Well, I mean, you do that with these missing episodes of the of the yeah, Little Rascals. I mean, yeah, yeah. Don't talk. Yeah, you're gonna be in trouble. But it's like, oh. no, 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 no. I'm teasing. But yeah, that was the fun stuff of like, how do you take this like you know really patently racist show and make it even fucking more racist? You know. Yeah. And then like, so people come up to me. It's like, are these real episodes? You know, this this whole you know. That's but I another... had so much fun like really trying to amp that stuff up. Isn't that though know? that in itself is sort of a, a scary proposition that yeah, that people don't have the facility to understand something as broad as that yeah yeah and they're like was that was that based on truth and yeah like, really yeah no but that you know sometimes it depends again like who asked those questions you yeah know, like where are they coming from you know i had a friend of mine who thought al Jolson was black you know this is a very smart guy and he has it's just like whoa but yeah. it's like you know what where do you look you know like yeah. you know it's so contextual all the time. You know, that I think that's a big thing about how contextual all this shit is. Yeah. You know. Everybody's got those weird blind sides that are surprising. And it's so little rascals. This is Boston. You know, me and my friends, Kevin, would like go to Beacon because Beacon would do these revival things. The Beacon that, Theater? No, it was, was in, where was where, it? Um, Be- what, what it might have about? been in Brookline or Coolidge Corner. Coolidge Corner. The corner, Coolidge Corner Theater, And they would yeah. do these things. And I remember going, you'd be in these all white things in fucking Boston, no less. 
And they'd watch these, the old Little Rascals episodes, you know, they would show Little Rascals, Three Stooges, but the uncensored versions that we never saw right, as kids, right. you yeah, know, yeah. stymie, like over a hot pot sweating and then wiping his brow and yeah. flinging a black splotch on a white wall, you know, like, and just all this stuff and the crowd laughing and all this kind of shit. And it's just stuff that really has stayed with me, obviously, for a long, long time. Because you're talking about how do we figure this out? How, where's, you know, where do we, why are they laughing? Why are they laughing? Why am I laughing? Why am I not laughing? You know, all this kind of stuff. What's yeah. really going on here? Not really going on, but what's going on? A little bit. And just, I don't know, this stuff really stayed with me. You know? Do you get any rest from your brain? Do I get any rest? <laughs> yeah, I think so. You know, I watch television. I read. And... So when you say this took you five years, why, did, why the stopping and starting? It's, it wasn't stopping and starting. I'm just really slow. Oh, really? You know, yeah. I'm really slow. And, Meticulous? Um, yeah, a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit. I mean, the stuff's very important to me, yeah. you know, and- In terms of getting the words right? Yeah, just in terms of getting the words right, because it's all the language, man. You know, it's- um, That's the stuff that, you know, brings me joy is hopefully that the book's written well, you know? Yeah, yeah. And all the crap. And uh, it takes me a long, long, long time, you know? And what is your question about what satire is? Yeah, I, I don't know, man. It's yeah. just it's these words that people hide behind it because you get to say, "Oh, something satirical," and you don't have to. What does that mean? You know, like what are we satirizing? Am I being satirized? You know, it's a good thing of it's a, it's a good deflecting word. Like this has sure. nothing to do with me. I have no culpability. Yeah. <laughs> it's like I am out of this. You yeah. Know? So it's a it's a word, but it's much much more than that. You know, it's um, you know, I think about all this stuff. Like I had to teach this satire class. Oh, yeah? Yeah. And, and I called it, like, too soon or not soon enough. You know, because, like, this idea sure. of, like, when are things funny? Yeah. You know, we we're talking about this Lubitsch movie, you know, To Be or Not To Be. Yeah. Which is a fucking brilliant movie that, of course, was too close. The Nazi movie. Yeah. yeah. yeah you know, not American enough and all these other kind of things. And uh, But it's a fucking classic. And I, and I how do they react? How you deal with How you know, are you thinking of the younger kids? Yeah. And so, I mean, they, they're all so fucking smart. Yeah. And so it's interesting to see, you know, the sense of right and wrong blur about yeah. like what they can do yeah you know, they're so uncomfortable because you know they get told you're not you can't use this language you can't do this you can't do that and just to, to just see you know especially they read portnoy's complaint yeah and a lot of them hadn't read it which is you know i mean it's such a seminal book for me you yeah know? yeah because i'm like oh yeah you can do this i know you could do this <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right, right. good you know and you know and a lot of the you know were like how do you do this as a woman? How come women don't write like this? You know, which is not true that women do or don't like that. But, you know, like, it's interesting. They just get these narrow things about what writing is, yeah. about what these things are. And so, for me, I'm just trying to give them stuff of people doing the unexpected. Yeah, you know, yeah. Bit. Push it. Yeah, do whatever you feel to, like doing. Yeah. Put and, it out there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, absolutely. So, um, what has been... Yeah, you know, the the sort of black academic reaction to the book. Yeah, I mean, I think... Um, Good, I hope. You know, I don't read a ton of the reviews. You so, don't? You know, no, I don't. I, I kind of read them at the beginning, and then every now and then somebody will put, especially my wife will be like, you have to read this one, you have to read this one. So I read some. I can't say like I don't read any of them, but, but I think good as far as I can tell, you know, I mean, I think- um, It was provocative? I mean, if they're writing about it, you know, the best you can hope from a critical essay is that you, you take a couple of hits, but at least they see something maybe you didn't even anticipate. Yeah, you know, I just try to do some shit that only I can do, you know? And, uh, yeah, that's what I'm trying to do, really. You know, and so, and I think, you know, it's, you know, I'm not the only weirdo out there. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm not the only person who feels certain, certain, some type of way. So, uh, 
you know, I have a thing. Just it's not about necessarily black, but it's about like when people pander. Yeah, you know. And yeah. So I just try not to pander. Right. And, um, yeah. Oh no, I understand that. One. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And try not to pander my own way, you know. And uh, so I had a student once came up to me, and she was, you know, she identified with the LGBT community. Yeah. She was like. You know, I want to ridicule all this kind of stuff and satirize all this kind of stuff, but I'm so afraid, you know, because we've worked so hard to create what little space we have. Yeah. And I don't want to make fun of it. And I was like, yeah, you know, I'm not going to tell you what to do, (laughs) but everything that you add, whether it's accepted, rejected, whatever, that adds to that space. Yeah. Right. That adds that Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh. I'm just trying to, because I'm really not trying to add to anybody else's space. I'm just trying to, you know. Sure. Get my own well, I think that's an interesting elbow, point. You know that you, you you know that anything that provokes whatever you know dogmatic or structural limitations yeah. of a space that is presented as dire or or uh, a need to be maintained yeah. uh, to to guarantee um, that space. Yeah. You know, if you push on it, sometimes that space gets a little sense of humor. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, because oftentimes a little reflection. Yeah, 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 a little reflection. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, does uh, does something like this become interested? Uh, be become interesting to a movie person? I, I guess there's been some interest in it. Like, I actually sold the rights, and I'm trying to. And and for the first time, I've actually agreed to do the screenplay. Like, I've always said, I'm not going to do the screenplay. Wow. So how do you do that? Because I have a, no idea, Mark. I've started on it. I have no idea. Because like, if you look at like uh, Catch Twenty Two, sure. Like, you know, which is pretty disjointed, yeah. but pretty stunning. Yeah. You mean the film? Yeah. Yeah. Well, like, you have, a, just you have Garfunkel's fro. So yeah. yeah, it's, yeah. It's and, like, and, and Alan Arkin being crazy. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, but like that movie, when you read that book, it's like you can never imagine the the, the breadth of that, you know, being a, a film. Uh, and then you see this film and it's a very surreal experience. Yeah. It's yeah. a disjointed but beautiful experience. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, it's like translating stuff you know yeah it's you know so i think you always lose something you know book the film sometimes you know film sure. the book you lose something you yeah know? yeah and so i think that just goes with it so i'm just going to try to have fun with it and try not to rewrite the book as a movie you know, right I try to make it different in a weird way sure and so that's my challenge you know so i don't know what will happen we'll see man well it's so, great talking to you man same mark man pleasure man Smart guy, great writer. The sellout's an amazing book. I'm glad he stopped by. It was nice to talk to him. Yeah, go to WTFPod.com for the upcoming tour dates. I'll see you tomorrow night, Austin, Texas. Please don't scream for me to save John Frusciante. He's got a, I don't know where he's at. <laughs> but, but come see me. It's been good. It's been funny. All right, let's see if I can play some music here.
Elmer lives. <laughs>